Okay, we're doing now Monday's portion of Vayesha. In Sunday's portion, we learned Yosef's relationship to his brothers, how Yosef Joseph was favored by the father for all of his special qualities, and therefore this created a lot of resentment and ultimately enmity from the other brothers toward Yosef, toward Joseph, which grew and intensified as Yosef felt it was his responsibility to bring to his father's attention if the brothers were doing something that Yosef perceived as wrong. Yosef had the two dreams, which he shared with his brothers, which expressed his ultimate rulership, all of which created this very, very volatile situation. So beginning now, we are in chapter 37, verse 12. His brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Now Rashi here is commenting on the two dots over the word S. There's a dot over the Aleph and a dot over the stuff, which is really Messiah. Rashi is commenting on this to explain our shot question here in this situation. And through the learning out and extrapolation of the dots over the letters S, according to the Midrashic rule, we omit the word completely, which means S, which normally links a verb to its direct object, we're deleting that. So there's therefore a break between Leros, the pasture, and the father's flock, which means, Rosh is telling us, that it's not that they were pasturing, feeding the flock. Rashi says they were pasturing themselves. Of course, then what does that mean? According to some, pastoring means feeding. They were feeding themselves. And this indulgence in food, indulgence in drink, led to, opened up the ground to what was ultimately going to become here, their being able to sell their brother. Others look at the word liros as the idea of taking counsel, to take counsel with themselves. Because they were said, now we have this opportunity. Obviously, when we're home, there's always people around. We can't talk about this freely and openly. We have to really judge the situation. How do we handle Yosef? Because as they understood it, they felt from their perspective that Yosef was trying to remove them. In other words, looking at the historical precedent, Abraham had Yishmael and Yitzchak, but his heir was only Yitzchak. And Yitzchak, of course, had Yaakov and Esau, but his heir, his spiritual heir, was only Yaakov. Well, now Yaakov, Jacob, has 12 sons. And it seems that Yosef, Joseph is thinking just as there was one heir of Abraham and one heir of Yitzchak, so too he should be the only heir, the only spiritual continuation of Yaakov. Because from a spiritual perspective, he was so much higher than all the other brothers. From his perspective, they were truly so much lower and therefore perhaps not worthy of being the continuation of the Jewish people. But this was not what Yosef was thinking. But from their perspective, seeing how Yosef was making sure to report their, perhaps as he viewed it, misdeeds to the father, seeing that Yosef had these dreams, I mean, you dream at night what you think about during the day, and he was sharing these dreams, and he was believing in these dreams. So the implication was that Yosef felt he was 
the heir, the ruler, and not they. So he's trying to get rid of us. Either he's going to try to maybe get our father angry at us and he'll curse us or maybe bring us to sin. He's trying to get rid of us. So what do we do? Well, you know, there is a rule in Torah. If someone gets up to kill you, you're supposed to kill him first. So if he's coming to kill us, as we understand it, the rule is we're supposed to get rid of him first. So this is what they wanted to, they wanted to judge here privately, quietly, where people wouldn't be around when they went to tend the flock in Shechem. Next verse, and Yisrael said to Yosef, are your brothers not pastoring in Shechem? Whether I will send you to them. And he said to him, Joseph, Yosef said to his father, here I am. Here I am, Rashi says, this is humility and alacrity. Even though he understood this was a dangerous situation because he's going alone to, to the enemy territory. Is this what his father had to do? He did it. Now, obviously, this was a bit irrational from Jacob's end because Jacob also knew the feelings the brothers had for Yosef. Obviously, Jacob would have done anything to protect Yosef, and Jacob loved Yosef very much. So why is Jacob sending Yosef to this dangerous situation? Of course, Yosef understands the danger, but is going to fulfill his father's wishes. So why is it? What is his father thinking? So see in the next verse it says, and he said to him, go now, look into the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring me back word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he arrived at Shechem. Now Rashi says, what do you mean valley of Hebron? Hebron's on a mountain. Not a valley. So valley, Amek, death, Rashi says, alludes to the Eitza Amukah, the deep council of the Tzaddik, Avraham, Abraham, buried in Hebron. So Amek Hebron, which we're looking at as ascension from the valley of Hebron, can be learned out to mean from the deep choice of Avraham buried in Hebron. What is this deep choice? Because by the Brist and Hebron, the covenant between the pieces, Abraham, Abraham was given a choice by God. The children need to go through some intense purification process in order to become ultimately my people, what do you choose for them? Purgatory or enslavement in this world? And ultimately the choice became enslavement in this world, which led to the enslavement in Egypt for those 210 years. So Rashi is saying, here we have Yaakov, Jacob, doing something that seems so irrational, sending his beloved son alone and vulnerable could have sent anyone to find out how the brothers were doing. And why did he send Yosef, who, who could be and was harmed by the brothers? Because he was compelled by this decision of Avraham that the Jews would have to be ultimately enslaved in Egypt, and this was a link in the chain to make it happen. In other words, our sages look at this whole situation, which has so many questioning pieces and so much of God pulling strings to get people to do things that otherwise they would never have done. But why, even though this seems like there's a lot of pain drenched in this story, this is still the most compassionate way to ultimately bring the Jewish people down to Egypt. Through there to begin the fulfillment of the exile and ultimate enslavement in Egypt as the smelting furnace to enable them to become God's people with the giving of the Torah and ultimately entering the land of Israel. 
So that's why Jacob did this very irrational thing from the valley of Hebron, from the deep decision of the Tzaddik buried in Hebron. Now, that was from Yaakov's end why he did it. Why from Joseph's end did he agree to this? So we said because he, he was going to listen to his father no matter what. But we could question this and say, but what his father would say, not that his father, so to speak, meant it, but really was putting his life in danger. And Yosef understood that. So, of course, he wants to do the commandment of his father, and that's a very great commandment. That's a mitzvah, the mitzvah of honoring one's parents. But one shouldn't give up their life for that. That's not one of the commandments you die for. So why was he agreeing to go to this dangerous situation for commandment that we're not required to die for when he could very well have been killed in this process. The Lubavitcher explained that he understood all that, and he understood he could die. But he also felt that his brothers were being lax in honoring the father um, here in the situation, that they're not respecting the father who treasured Yosef in the previous portion in what they did in response to Dina, Dina's abduction, which also was not exactly following Jacob's wishes. Of course, each time they felt justified, but still there was a lack of honor of their father's wishes. And Joseph felt that when you're in a situation where there's a commandment, any commandment, but that commandment is being violated by the people, then we have to self-sacrifice for that commandment to give an example of to what degree we have to listen to the commandment and to God. So in this situation, he felt this generation, meaning the brothers, were violating the commandment of honoring one's father. And therefore, he was going to model to what degree we have to fulfill this commandment by literally risking his life to fulfill his father's command, to model to them to what degree they also had to listen and respect their father. So he listens to his father, and as the verse said, he sent him from the valley of Hebron, he arrived at Shechem. Now, everything is very precise. So why was it Shechem, which was the place where the brothers happened to be shepherding the sheep and taking counsel what to do about Joseph? Because Shechem was a place prepared for punishment. We see here the sale of Joseph happened here. This is where Dina was violated. And here, ultimately, much later, is where the kingdom of David was split. We see that this is a place of tragedy, a place for adversary. And, of course, Joseph understood this. Not only was it dangerous in general to put himself in his brother's power, but especially in Shechem, but again, he still went. He went because this is um, what his father wanted him to do. A man discovered him, and behold, he was lost in the field. And the man came to ask him, saying, what do you seek? So this is sort of strange. What do you mean the man found him? He searched. He should have found the man. Sarashi says, no, this, this was a setup. Again, God set up many pieces to make this happen. So the man that found him was actually the angel Gavriel. As we have a verse that calls Gavriel this man. So the angel was sent. Now, the angel was in this position having compassion and warning Joseph not to go and warning him that the brothers were set up to, to, to harm him at this point. So at the same time, the angel is really the, the next catalyst 
that guides Joseph where the brothers are, which again continues the next link in this plot here. So he's wandering. He's looking for the brothers. The brothers are no longer in Shem. The man finds him. This angel Gabriel finds Joseph and says, like, what are you looking for? And he says, my brothers, I speak. Tell me, please, where they're pasturing. And the man said, they traveled on from here. If I heard them saying, let us go to Dyson. So Joseph, Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dyson. So they traveled from here. Rashi explains they traveled from the word Zed. The Hebrew is Nasu Mizeh. They traveled Mizeh from this. Zeh, this, is a miracle value of 12. So they traveled from this. They traveled away from being 12. And from their perspective, it's now 11. As Rashi says, they traveled from the brotherhood because they're, they're knocking you out of this brotherhood. So Angel is warning him, they traveled from this. You're saying, I'm searching for my brothers. They're not looking at you as a brother anymore. This is very dangerous for you. And they went to Dyson. Dyson is the name of a place, but Dyson also represents legal pretext. A legal justification to put you to death. But it's the name of a place, but it also means at the same time, they're, they're looking, they're going to a place of legal pretext to be able to kill you. So the angel is giving him a strong warning. At the same time, the angel is telling him where they are because the choice is in his hands. So Joseph heard all this. He understood this. He understood that there was an implication that they traveled from the brotherhood. No more 12. Now we're 11. They knocked you off. He understood Dyson was a level of allegory meaning they're looking for legal craftiness, legal pretext to kill you. And despite all this, Again, he was self-sacrificing for his father's wishes. He went to Dyson. They saw him from afar. They hear me, the brothers. And when he had not yet approached them, and they conspired toward him to kill him. So they're conspiring. They're filled with conspiracies and cunning toward him. As Rashi explains the meaning of the word. And once at the other look, the dreamer is coming. The master of the dreams is coming. So now, come, let us kill him. And let us throw him into one of the pits. And we'll say, a wild beast devoured him. And then the verse continues, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. So Rashi says, what do you mean we shall see what will become of his dreams? The brothers said they're going to kill him. What are they saying? We'll see what will become of his dreams. The dreams are gone if he's gone. So these words actually weren't the brother's words. This is like the, the narrator, so to speak. God speaking and saying, oh, really? I'm giving him these dreams that he's going to become the ruler, and you're saying we're going to kill him? We'll see what will become of his dreams. We'll see whose words will prevail, God's or the brother's. So the people here speaking, as Rashi explains to us later, is Shimon and Levi because it's sort of by process of elimination. If we think through all the brothers, Reuven did not have complete hatred for him because he tries to save him. Yehuda does not have complete hatred for him because he tries to save him. That's Reuven, Shimon. And we have Shimon and Levi, who Rashi says it was, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. And then we have two other sons of Leah, Yisach, and Zulun, but they wouldn't speak in front of their older brothers. So if the older brothers didn't say, Yisach and Zulun aren't going to pipe up, so who's left? Well, the only other brothers left, there's two sons of Bilhah and two sons of Zilpah. But we learned earlier in the, in the portion, yesterday, that Yosef befriended the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, even though the other brothers treated them a little 
slight bit, like as if they were not of the same level, because they were the sons of maidservants, not the wives, but Yosef befriended them and was very respectful and compassionate towards them. So for sure, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah wouldn't have suggested killing him. So who's left? If not Reuven, if not Yehud, if not Yisachar, if not Zilpah, if not the sons of Bilhah, if not the sons of Zilpah, Prosperation. The only ones left are Shimon and Levi, and truly they were the ones that said, "Oh, look who's coming!" Okay, well, well this is a perfect opportunity. We just made a tribunal. We just passed in. We made a legal verdict that he must be killed because if someone's trying to kill you, you kill him first. And we definitely understand he's trying to kill us. And now look how providential this. Look how God's helping this all work out. He's coming here right now. Perfect opportunity. Reuven heard, and he rescued him from their hand, and he said, we won't kill him. Which, he literally said, we won't strike his soul, which Rashi explains means death. Reuven said to them, don't shed blood, throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but send no hand against him. That's what Reuven said, and now the verse explains what his intention were, in order to rescue him from their hand, to return him to his father. In other words, Reuven just said to them, we're not murderers. You want to literally kill him? Throw him into the pit. He'll die. But our heads shouldn't have to be literally, of course, throwing someone into a pit where they die is definitely murder. But it's not as bloody, so to speak. So Reuben was like appealing to their conscience. Yes, we just decided together that he needs to be killed, but come on, we're not murderers. Let's do it this way. Okay, they listened to that. That made sense. But really, Reuben's vision was, after everyone leaves, he's going to come back and rescue him. Because he understood that, no, even though we sat here and discussed the whole case from a legal perspective and we feel completely virtuous in our verdict that he's supposed to die, underneath all of this, Reuben understood it was wrong. But he didn't have the inner strength to stand up to the rest of his brothers. So he was planning on saving him, but like sneakily behind the brother's back which is what the, 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 the verse is testifying, that he really was planning on rescuing and saving him. And he understood that he had a special responsibility to do this because in the end of the day, he felt, hey, I'm the oldest one here. If this happens, in the end, the guilt is mine. And I understand it's guilt. I understand it's wrong. And I can't let this happen. But I, I'm not going to stand up to them. I, I don't think I have the power and presence for that. But I'll take care of it. I'll make sure Joseph gets rescued. Now, of course, that's not what God intended, and therefore God set it up that during the sale of Joseph, Reuven was away, which is how they were able to sell him. And then when Reuven came back, he was already sold, and it was too late, and he had to deal with the pieces at that point. But the verse still gives him this credit that he truly wanted to save him, which we see here, that if we only knew the virtue of our actions, it says if... Uve knew that the verse would write that he was trying to save him, meaning he understood how precious that was to God. Because in front of all his brothers, Reuven wouldn't have cared less. He would have picked up Joseph, put him on his shoulders, and marched him all the way back home to his father. But he didn't know. And that's true for us as well. Very often, we do good things. But if we understood how much God appreciated it, how much more would we do? And with how much more joy and how much more enthusiasm and energy.